Well, uh, before we read the passage for today, I'd like to give you a little bit of advice. Um, if you're a procrastinator and you still haven't gotten your mother a present, uh, I'd like to give you a list of things that you shouldn't get. Uh, there was a survey that was done, a British survey that was done a number of years ago, and they found that 40% of moms have received gifts that they didn't want. Most of them were, most of them were polite and didn't act, tell their children that they didn't want them. But some of the worst gifts that you could give your mother uh, were listed as deodorant. It's really sending a message. A fire extinguisher. That's not a good message about her cooking. Cleaning supplies. A stick of French bread. Salad dressing. Popcorn. Ants. Perhaps an ant farm for mom. Hair dye. Not a good thing to give your mother. Screwdriver. Toilet roll, calculator, and car parts. Don't give those things to your mother. Another newspaper ran an article about 20 awful Mother's Day cards that you absolutely should not buy. The article is clear. Do not buy these cards. But just in case you go to the store and see these cards, just make sure you stay away from them. I'll give you a couple examples. Mom, thanks for always checking up on me with a picture of a cell phone with 24 unanswered calls from mom. (laughs) Another card. Well, I guess this Mother's Day card is late. Looks like someone wasn't raised properly. (laughs) Another card. I'm awesome. You're welcome to the luckiest mom ever. The final one. Mom, I love you loads. A picture of a laundry basket overflowing with clothes. Speaking of loads, can you do my laundry? Avoid those gifts, avoid those cards. But in, a, in all seriousness, I'd like to acknowledge all the mothers out there. and um, I've been blessed with a wonderful mother, a wonderful mother-in-law, and uh, just a blessing to have them in my life. Um, I'd like to just say a special prayer for the mothers out there today. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the provisions that you give us, and we thank you for our mothers and all the sacrifices that they made for us, and uh, God, we just pray that you give a special blessing to all the mothers out there today, uh, those who maybe are feeling weary, or feeling feeling downtrodden, maybe they feel like their work has gone unnoticed. Uh, God, we just pray that you'd instill on their hearts that their work matters, that it makes a difference. Uh, God, I pray that on this day as uh, some mothers are, uh, or some people are grieving the loss of their mother. God, I just pray that you just comfort their hearts. Give them strength uh, during this difficult time. God, we just, as we look at your word, I just pray that you'd speak to us. Help us to be receptive to what you have to say to us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we're looking at Mark chapter 2 today. We're going to be go- going through uh, 2, 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And then when when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why did this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed, glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Well, since it is Mother's Day, you know, one thing about mothers is that they know often what their children need. And there's a research that has been done on uh, mothers' brains, and it's been determined that even at the earliest stages of after conception, earliest stages of pregnancy, a mother's brain begins to change in certain ways that many researchers believe that it specializes so that they can understand the needs of the newborn baby. One researcher said this, that these changes may help a woman's brain specialize in a mother's ability to recognize the needs of her infant, to recognize social threats, or to promote mother-infant bonding. Mothers often know better than anyone what their children need. You know, and parents, specifically mothers, know what their children need. I remember when I was growing up, sometimes I would uh, get sick, and I would want to go out and play hockey or play sports right after I got sick. And my mother would say, no, you got to rest. you got to take it easy. And I'm sure there was a number of other examples. I remember one particular example that stuck out in my mind was it was October 2nd, 2014, and I was considering uh, proposing to Stephanie the next day, and I started to get nervous and was questioning, maybe I shouldn't go through this. How do I know that this is the right thing I should do? And I was at my parents' house talking to my mom and dad. I remember my mom said something like this. She says, I wouldn't say this unless I was really sure that this was true, but I really believe that Stephanie is the one for you. And mothers know what children need. They know what children need even when they don't know. And as we're looking at this passage today, we see that Jesus exhibits the same quality that mothers often exemplify so well. He knows what his children need. Jesus has returned to Capernaum where he has been living uh, apparently for some time, and there's crowds that were gathered around the house. So many people were gathered around the house that nobody could enter into the door of the house. So four men come and are carrying a paralytic, which means that you know, he was lame in some way. He wasn't able to walk. And they bring this paralytic to Jesus, but they see all of these crowds that have crowded around the house. They can't enter the door to get to Jesus. And so rather than giving up, they go up to the roof of the house, and there was likely stairs that led up to the roof, and they started digging through the roof of the house, and they lowered the paralytic down to Jesus. And it says in the text that Jesus saw their faith, and he said, son or child, your sins are forgiven. Note the tenderness with which he speaks to this paralytic. He says, child or son. But what's interesting about this story is that this paralytic hasn't come for his sins to be forgiven. He hasn't come for forgiveness. He's come for healing. These friends of his hadn't been waiting for Jesus, trying to get to Jesus so that he would be healed, they had, or to be forgiven, but rather that he would be healed. 
So why does Jesus pronounce forgiveness upon him? Why does Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven when that's not what he was looking for? Well, some people in that day and age believed that a disability or an illness was caused by a certain sin. That anytime anybody was disabled or had an illness, it was caused by their sin. Now, Jesus flatly rejected this view. In John chapter 9, there was a person who was born blind, and his disciples asked him, which person sinned? Was it him who sinned, or was it his parents that he should be born blind? And Jesus says, neither one. It's so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus clearly doesn't believe that all illness or disability is caused by sin. So why does he say this? Why does he say your sins are forgiven? Well, there's certain issues, certain health issues that could be caused by sin. I was talking to Pastor Phil this week, and Pastor Phil gave the example uh, I didn't think about. You know, maybe he was having an affair, and uh, you know, the husband came home, and he jumped out the window to get away from him and broke his legs. You know, maybe it was because uh, he was a, a drunkard. You know, maybe his uh, liver gave out. We don't know for sure what happened. We don't know if it was caused directly by his sin or not. But Jesus is trying to teach the people something here. He's trying to teach them two things. He's trying to teach the paralytic what he really needs, and he's trying to teach the paralytic that he he can answer the call of what he needs. That he has a true need, and that Jesus can meet this need. See, this man has presumably come for healing, but Jesus says what you need more than healing is forgiveness. You come because you are physically lame, but you are also spiritually lame. What you need most right now is a relationship with God, a relationship with the Father. See, Jesus knows what His children need. He thought that He needed healing physically, but He really needed healing spiritually. And this statement causes an uproar in the minds of the religious leaders, the scribes who were there, saying, how can He say your sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. And so they come and are just kind of wrestling that with that in their mind. And Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. And Jesus says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now this might be hard for us to understand. He says, which is easier? Because we know, for, you know to forgive someone's sins, for his sins to be forgiven, in essence, that's much more difficult than for him to just heal somebody. Because if this person's sins are going to be forgiven, Jesus would have to atone for those sins, and Jesus would have to die on the cross for those sins. It would cost the perfect Son of God his life. But he says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed, and walk? Let me give you an example. So let's say Jesus is up here, and this paralytic is, comes in with a wheelchair, And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you wouldn't know if his sins were forgiven or not. You can't see his sins being forgiven. You don't know. So it's easy for Jesus to say that. It's easy easy for me to say that. I could be up here and say that. You could be up here and say that. And nobody would really know if it was true or not because you can't see it. But if the paralytic was brought to Jesus and Jesus says, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. 
he's got to get up and walk or Jesus is a phony. Jesus has shown himself to be a false teacher. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say rise, take up your bed, and walk. So what might be happening here is that Jesus is saying you've heard the stories. You've heard that I've healed the sick, that I've cast out demons. You've heard that I've done all these things. Those things are difficult things. Those things are things that call upon God to act in a certain way. And if He doesn't, it shows me to be false. So those are difficult things. But then I say, your sins are forgiven. And you cause an uproar. But He says, I'm going to give you proof. I'm going to give you proof that I can forgive sins. And then He goes and He raises up the paralytic. So Jesus demonstrates in this passage that he not only has physical authority, but he also has spiritual authority. Not only can he heal people's bodies, but he can heal people's souls. He can not only cast out demons, but he can forgive sins and change people from the inside out. It's a remarkable demonstration of the power and the authority of God. So we learn in this passage, and we see from the actions of this passage, that Jesus has the power and the authority to transform our lives. He has that spiritual power and authority to spiritually change us and to make us new. But the question is, if if that is true, what should our response be to that? What should our response be to the fact that Jesus has the power and authority to transform our lives? In other words, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that Jesus has that power and authority in our lives? And if we do, how should we respond? I think we can get some tips for how we should respond by looking at the actions of these four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus. That if we look at this from a different angle, I think we can see a little bit about what our response should be to Jesus. So we see that these four men bring the paralytic to Jesus. The crowd is clamoring around the house. At this point, they could have said to their friend, who is lame, well, we tried. We, we did our best. We'll just have to try again some other time. They could have said to his, their friend, well, there's nothing we could do. If, even if we got to Jesus, he's probably so busy, he has so many other needs, he wouldn't have the time for us. But they wouldn't give up. They weren't willing to leave. They believed that their friend needed an encounter with Jesus. But the first thing about faith that we need to realize that these four men exemplify is that faith doesn't give up and faith doesn't make excuses. Faith doesn't make excuses. There's a, an old story about how two men were fishing on a Sunday morning and uh, they were spending several hours on the lake, and after a number of hours, they had, hadn't caught any fish. And one of the men says to the other, you know, we probably should have stayed home and went to church. The other man says, well, I could have stayed home, but I couldn't have gone to church. Why is that? The man said. The other man said, well, my wife is very sick and there's no way that I could leave her for that long to go to church. (laughs) How many of us are prone to make excuses for our lack of spiritual growth? 
I love to spend time in God's Word, but I just don't have the time. I just don't have the knowledge. I'm just so busy. I'd love to spend time praying, but I just, I just can't focus. I just can't focus. I'd love to serve in the church, but I, I, I work full-time, and I, I don't have that much to offer anyways. What good could I be to anybody? I'd like to be able to give to those in need and give to God's work, but I'm just not financially there yet. I'd love to give up this addiction and this, or this sin struggle that I have, but I've been through so much, I just, I just need it to cope. We tend to make a lot of excuses. We make so many excuses for our failure to follow after Jesus. And I'm not speaking just to you, I'm speaking to myself also. We make so many excuses. Things that keep us from following after Christ. Dwight O. Moody once said this, Excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. Excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. Satan wants to make us busy. He wants to keep us doing things. He wants to keep us doing everything but following after Christ and having a relationship with Him. He wants us to look at what God has called us to do and say, I can never do that. I'm not qualified. I could never face these obstacles. There's too much standing in my way. That's what Satan wants us to do. And that's what these four men could have done. They could have saw the crowd and say, well, we'll have to go try again some other time. But they didn't give up. They didn't make excuses. And a faith that's rooted in the Gospel is a faith that doesn't make excuses. It follows after Christ. It follows after Christ. It means following after Christ with our whole, whole hearts. So the second element of faith. Faith doesn't make excuses, but it runs after Jesus. See, these four men believed what their friend needed most was an encounter with Jesus Christ. But remember again, when these men bring the paralytic to Jesus, at first Jesus doesn't heal the man. He just says, your sins are forgiven. And this paralytic and the four men, they don't know that, God is going, that Jesus is going to heal the man in just a few minutes. I mean, this could have been the end of the story, and we don't know if it wasn't for the murmuring of the scribes if Jesus would have healed this man. Sometimes we come to Christ, we follow after Christ, and He doesn't give us the answers that we want to hear. He doesn't come through in the way that we would like. Sometimes the healing doesn't come. The finances don't come through. But our faith is not in our circumstances changing. Our faith is not in the fact that our lives will work out the way that we hoped they would. Our faith is in the living and reigning King of the universe. Our faith is in the Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we run after Jesus, we acknowledge that He knows best. That He holds our lives in His hands. And that He has the power to change us and transform us. For some of us, our entire spirituality is based upon the hope that God will change our circumstances. We come to God so our marriage would get healed. That we'll get a better paycheck. That our kids will turn out good. Now there's nothing wrong with bringing those requests to God and God calls us to do that, to bring those requests to, to Him. 
But our primary motivation in coming to God or coming to Christ is not so that we would have things change in our life. It's so that we would have an encounter with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The man comes thinking he needs to be healed. He comes thinking he needs his circumstances changed. But Jesus says, what you really need is me. What you really need is forgiveness of sins. And that encapsulated in that, we know that Jesus is on our journey to the cross. Jesus is on a long road to the cross, and he's going to live a sinless life, die on the cross, and rise again. And so in essence, when he says, son, your sins are forgiving, in essence what he's saying is, son, you need me. Son, you need my forgiveness. Son, you need my work in your life. Faith doesn't make excuses, but runs after Jesus. And the result is that God is glorified through it. It says in the text that when Jesus healed the paralytic, all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. See, when God's people exhibit biblical, tenacious, unrelenting faith, God gets all the glory from it. Pastor Phil talked last week about how Jesus promised that we could do even greater things than He did. And when we put our faith in Christ, He'll allow us to do those things. And through those things, God uses us to bring Him glory and honor. I mean, imagine if these men had given up. No one would blame them. There's a crowd around the house. Nobody would blame them. But they would have missed out on that opportunity for God to work mightily through them, for God to be glorified. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, when we refuse to make excuses, when we follow with everything that we have after Christ, God gets the glory from it. And people see how great our God is. Jesus has the power and the authority to transform our lives. Do we believe that He can do that? Do we have a faith that doesn't make excuses but runs with everything we have after Jesus? January 28, 2014, in Birmingham, Alabama, there was a huge snowstorm. Uh, Dr. Zenko Herinkra heard that a patient at Trinity Medical Center had taken a turn for the worst. The patient needed surgery. No other surgeon was available. The patient had a 90% chance of dying. He couldn't drive because of all the snow and the ice. Emergency personnel were stretched thin and were working around the clock. So the 62-year-old uh, doctors decided to take matters into his own hand, and he started walking to the hospital. Step by step through the snow, six miles to the hospital. Along the way, he fell and rolled down a hill, but he got back up and he kept going. He even helped some drivers who were stuck in the snow along the way. He finally arrived at Trinity, performed the surgery, and probably saved the patient's life. Later press conference that was praising his efforts, Dr. Zenko wondered what all the fuss was about. He said it really wasn't that big of a deal. Any good doctor would have done the same thing. The patient was dying, and he said, that wasn't going to happen on my shift. But a hospital official said the doctor was being modest. Keith Granger, Trinity Medical Center's CEO, said it was not just a walk in the park. Given the conditions, the temperatures, and the terrain, 
It's a remarkable physical feat and mental feat. And we have an individual alive today who wouldn't be here if not for his efforts. So there's a snowstorm. And we know our southern friends get a little scared with a little bit of snow. But this, imagine the doctor said to himself, well, there's nothing I can do. I can't drive. Who would have blamed him? I mean, it's a snowstorm. There's ice everywhere. He could have said, I'm 62 years old. Uh, I'm not going to risk my health to walk all the way to the hospital. He could have said, well, it's just too far. I mean, if it was a mile or so, maybe I could walk, but it's just too far to go. He could have said to himself, well, he's in really bad shape anyways. I might not be able to save him after all. Maybe my efforts will all be in vain. But he didn't make any excuses. He walked six miles at great risk to himself and in the end was able to perform surgery and perhaps save this patient's life. What if Jesus made excuses? What if Jesus said, well, I can't come to the earth if my parents don't have a place to stay. I can't have come to the earth if I don't have a warm place to lay my head. He could have said, well, they're pretty broken and I don't know if I could save them anyways. He could have said, well, I'm the Son of God. Do you think I'm really going to sacrifice myself? He could have said the road is just too hard. It's just too long of a road, just too difficult a road to walk on, to walk to the cross. He could have done that. He had every right to do that. But he didn't. He didn't make excuses. He walked the long and arduous journey to the cross. And through it, he, he was able to transform and change millions upon millions to have a relationship with him. If you were that patient who was on death row, so to speak, you found out that your doctor had walked six miles in the snow to be able to perform surgery on you, how would you feel? You'd probably have an immense amount of gratitude that you would want to do everything that you could to repay that doctor for what he did, to you, did for you. In a similar way, the Scriptures tell us that we were dead in our sins, but Jesus made us alive again. That kind of sacrifice should call us to a deep and abiding faith. A faith that doesn't make excuses, but that follows hard after Jesus. And when we do that, when we follow after Jesus, laying all other things behind us, laying all excuses and all things that want to distract us from following Christ, when we lay those things aside and follow after Christ, God is glorified. The world sees us, and the world sees that Jesus is valuable to us. And what a testimony to the world that is. That despite anything that happens to us, we're following after Christ. That He is that valuable. That no matter what circumstances we face in our life, whether it's sickness, whether it's financial difficulties, whether it's relational difficulties, whatever we face in our life, Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth everything that we have. What a testimony that is to the world. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You that You walked the long and difficult road to the cross. 
We thank you that you have the power to change us, to make us new from the inside out. God, I pray that we would have faith like these four men who brought this paralytic man to Jesus. They saw obstacles, but they didn't make excuses. They followed after you. They sought you with all of their heart. God, I pray that we would be people who seek you with all of our heart. That we would lay everything behind us. Lay all excuses beside. And that we would put our relationship with you as the first and foremost priority in our life. God, I pray that you'd give us the power through your Holy Spirit to do that today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you.